I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 373 of Low Limit Football on this 8th of December, 2022. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight... The 2022 World Cup delivers again as Spain is upset by Morocco, placing an African team in the quarterfinals for the first time ever. The only group winner to survive this round, I'm sorry, to lose this round is Japan after a valiant penalty shootout against Croatia. And we're going to reflect on the round of 16 as we look forward to the quarterfinals coming up this weekend. But first, as I stumble all over my words, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? I mean, stumbling over your words because if you've seen so many shocks, what's going on? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, today and, and, you know, this these past couple days are the first days without football. So, you know, it is it's a sad time, right? I mean, we've had 17 days straight of matches. Now, all of a sudden, there's this lull and we're trying to find something to do. And my mind is all scrambled and stress of the holidays and everything else. And, uh, yeah, I've just uh, stumbled over a few words. What are you going to do? Hey, hey, listen to me. I mean, I, I had to watch 56 games straight, literally. Not straight, but I've been able to watch 56 games of, of soccer throughout. Because, obviously, I work in, in soccer and I, I, mean, I have to watch this for work. But also out of interest, of course. Having to watch 56 straight, I'm just like, what the hell am I doing with my life? But, <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, is it is it that all of a sudden you're like, what am I doing? Or is it more like, man, I need a break? I get paid. I mean, yeah. I, probably, I mean, today I was able, the thing is I, I have to go to Paraguay next week. So like today was actually the first time that I could able to do like all the other stuff I needed to do before I go because I wasn't going to have the time to do it because I want to watch these games. I didn't want to miss anything. But no, it's it's been a great tournament so far. Obviously, we've got some shocks that we'll talk about in the round of 16. But man, I think we're, we're setting up to really a, an interesting quarterfinals. I think a lot of storylines that are there to to be talked about and, and i'm excited for it yeah for sure me too let me ask you this um and i don't feel like this happened in the 2018 world cup but in this world cup and i think it's probably because of the presence of the united states in the in the tournament has your phone blown up a little bit more with the common um viewer or you know the the, the sports uh, sports fan that's your friend um maybe a relative or something that maybe was into sports but not necessarily watching soccer in general um, has your phone blown up with those people lately that all of a sudden are like like gung ho about watching this entire tournament? Um, not as much. I mean, yeah, I think there's been more people that I've been able to talk about the World Cup with. Mm. Um, in terms of maybe people that maybe are not big sports fans or maybe not big soccer fans, no, not necessarily. Maybe there's a few outliers, but no. I mean, typically those of my inner circle have always been those that at least you know for those that are going to talk about this World Cup are the ones that love soccer, that have enjoyed it, that kind of thing. And I think it's it's great to see that. But I think also, I think, yeah, obviously, I think interest for soccer in general has risen in four years. It helps the United States be in there 
because obviously that raises interest for everyone else here as well. Um, yeah, I've kind of seen it not blown up a bit, but definitely the, the interest has increased. I mean, what's the case for you? Yeah, I phone is off the hook. Um, it's almost gotten to the point where I want to turn my phone off during the matches because I get so many texts and so many messages. Um, and I enjoy it because I, I enjoy all these new fans you know, coming in and watching and all of a sudden realizing what a great game, you know, what exciting um, sport, right? And I'm going to say it that way, just strictly because these are, these are normally folks that, you know, th- that are really good friends of mine, um, relatives of mine that would normally maybe watch, you know, NFL football or baseball or basketball and that sort of thing, college sports and whatever. All of a sudden they're getting this taste of international soccer and they like it. Um, and it's so cool. Uh, it's so cool to, to sit there and interact with them. Um, but there are, there have been times, I'm not going to lie, where, like, let's say, the, you know, the Americans score a goal in the, in the match against the Netherlands or there's a big play and my phone just goes with a bunch of messages. And I'm like, I, I don't want to talk to you right now because I want to watch. I'll talk to you at halftime, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been enjoyable. Um, I think it also sets up for a great tournament here in 2026. I think, uh, whatever records, um, if there are any that are being broken in Qatar, uh, you know, and the records that they're breaking are from the 94 World Cup here in the United States, I think all of those records will be absolutely shattered in 2026 when we get to this World Cup. It's going to be very, very exciting, and I'm, very, I'm here for it. Speaking of exciting, um, Roberto, something that we didn't talk about in the in the pre-show prep, but I just mentioning for two seconds, looks like we're going to get to see a Copa America again, aren't we? Yeah, it's not official as of yet, mm-hmm. um, but obviously rumors have been coming around that it is possible that we do see another Copa America here in the States. And I have to tell you, if this is a good way to kind of be, um, obviously we don't have like the Confederations Cup anymore in this, in this, uh, in this, in the sport. But if this is, if this was ever a good tune-up or like a, a just rehearsal for the for the big event in 2026, I'm here for it. Definitely. Absolutely. Oh, me too. Me too. You know, it was funny because the minute I found out about this, I picked up the phone and called my wife and I said, hey, remember that tournament where we went to in 2016 where we got to watch Metsy play? Um, we're doing that again. Uh, just, you know, get your money maybe, ready. Maybe, maybe without Messi, though. That's maybe without Messi. And that's fine. That, that is totally fine. I'm, I'm here for all of the rest of it, you know. Um, and, and right now the rumor is obviously 10 teams from Comebol would come up to the United States. You would get Mexico, Canada, and the United States in the tournament. And then three other CONCACAF teams to round out 16 teams that would be invited uh, into this tournament. My yeah, spe- just like 2016. Just like that. Yep. My speculation is... Um, and, and again, there's no confirmation of any of this just yet. My speculation of those other three teams would be Costa Rica would be Jamaica. And I think would possibly be Honduras. What would you think? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure there's going to be like some sort of like qualifier or something that's going to be done, but, uh, yeah. no, I think you're, you're on the money on that. Could be, could be Panama, could be Haiti, Trinidad, Tobago, um, you know, yeah. maybe it could be maybe it could be an Asian or European team. That's true. So maybe we'll see what you bring over Japan or something like that, or, yeah. or even Qatar, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it looks like they've they've been participating in so many tournaments recently. I wouldn't be surprised if they add to this one. Yeah, I never know. So let, let's table that. Let's let's get into the World Cup because obviously we had a great round of sixteen um, over the past few days. I'm going to go through the, the results real quick. Uh, starting the first result was the USA opened the competition against the Netherlands in the round of 16. First team to be eliminated in the round with a 3-1 loss to the Dutch. Um, we'll talk about that match in a minute. Then we saw Argentina eliminate Australia 2-1. We moved on to France, beating Poland 3-1. Robert Lewandowski getting another goal before he closes out his World Cup career. England beating Senegal 3-0. Then Croatia on penalties, beating Japan, the only group winner to be eliminated in this round, uh, Croatia winning 2-1 and moving on. They're going to face Brazil, who fa- who beat South Korea 4-1. Uh, then we turn to the biggest or the second biggest upset in this tournament, um, but one of the biggest upset of this round for sure. Morocco beating uh, Spain nil-nil and uh, eliminating them 3-0 on penalties, which was uh, well something we'll talk about in just a minute. Last but not least, the uh, the Portuguese flex their muscle in a 6-1 victory over Switzerland. That was a result I did not see coming whatsoever. Um, I I know that you and I, when we talked about the match, I predicted Switzerland to win the match. I thought it would be a much, much closer affair, maybe a 2-1 type of situation. I did not see 6-1 in this one. So let's let's go back to the the first match, which is the Netherlands and the USA. Uh, Obviously, losing 3-1, the U.S. had quite a bit of possession. Um, You know, good attacking football, but ultimately... 
you look at what Louis Van Hall did, uh, which was he kind of stayed in a low to mid block or kept his team there, countered, and they were deadly. The first goal, if you haven't seen it for the Dutch, was not necessarily the goal, but the lead up to the goal. There was about seven or eight passes that were just absolute money. It was a beautiful thing to see. Excellent goal. The Dutch... You know, once they put that that first goal in, the second goal by uh, by Daily uh, Daily Blind uh, just before the half was really the dagger that that kind of ended this. There was some hope with the Jordan Pifak goal, but Denzel Dumfries, who was, really should have been the man of the match, I don't know if he was or not, um, scores uh, the the third goal. He was uh, a goal and two assists in this. And um, I'm sorry, I did say Jordan Pifak. I'm sorry about that. Haji Wright uh, scored that goal for the U.S. Um, that's that's where my brain is going. And uh, so back to Denzel Dumfries, goal to assist, uh, and the Netherlands move on. Roberto, what were your thoughts on this match? Because I thought ultimately, from a player standpoint, I thought the the players, the eleven that were put on the pitch, performed reasonably well to an extent. I was very disappointed by Jesus Ferreira uh, in his performance. Again, uh, Josh Sargent could not go in this one for due to the ankle injury. Um, but it also, you know, maybe that's why I have Jordan Pifak on the mind because Haji Wright, when he came in, did not really light up the lamp either. And it really called for a guy like Jordan Pifak to be in this particular matchup. Uh, so that was a, a misstep. Walker Zimmerman coming in for Cameron Carter Vickers, who had a great match against Iran. Um, you know, Zimmerman didn't do badly. He wasn't stellar, but he wasn't terrible. And, and, you know, we talk about teams of the tournament. I know that there are no Americans ever getting mentioned, but I think in this particular cycle of these four matches, I know we look at Tyler Adams as possibly the best player. I want to put a vote in for Tim Ream because I think he had an excellent tournament. So, you know, we we had that. uh, Again, I I didn't agree with the uh, Jesus Ferreira choice. I think you've, you've got to go to Haji right to start. I think uh, uh, Timothy Weah didn't have a great fourth match either, where he played much, much better in the first three matches. Um, and, uh, and and we really needed to see Gio Reyna. The problem was was that Gio Reyna came, comes on at halftime, gets 45 minutes, was okay. But for somebody that hasn't been getting football, you know, what do you expect from him? So missteps by Greg Berhalter. We can talk about him in a minute. But I want your uh, opinion on the U.S. team and how they did uh, in this match and how they did in the tournament. No, I, I think obviously, you know, going into and kind of assessing it now, literally four days since that game against the Dutch, I think what we saw was a side that I think did as best as they could. Yes, I think, you know, it was a lot to ask for this team moving forward to, to make it to the round of 16, which was their expectation. It was, this isn't something that, yeah, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a failure for some because, you know, I think there's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, maybe before a game, you saw how the Dutch were performing. You think, oh, we can beat these guys, especially after performances against Iran, England, and, and Wales, even though we, we drew that. But, you know, you think, you know, a similar type of match would be would be had against the Dutch. Now, obviously, we saw that in, in 10 minutes. I even saw it in the first few minutes. Mm-hmm. I think the Pulisic miss, and I even told you this on DM, like, yeah. you know, when we had that Wando miss back in 2014, the one that could have won the game against Belgium, I, I, I went back and I thought, if this game does not go well for the United States... That miss from Pulisic early in the first half is going to be our Wando uh, for this year. And it was. It proved to be that way because obviously the Netherlands ended up scoring three. Um, But I think, you know, moving forward, I think this is a side that, again, second youngest team at the World Cup. The majority of these players, excluding one, DeAndre Yedlin, have never played in a World Cup. This is their first time ever. This was always going to be a big occasion, especially against a side that has the experience a manager that knows what he's doing. How many times have we spoken about Van Gaal over the years and how tactically astute he is? Not just what he's done at, for the Dutch, but at United, Ajax, Bayern, all of his previous clubs. He is experienced, and Berhalter is not. And that's just how it is. I mean, yeah, you can get surprises in football. We see that a lot. But ultimately, that inexperience that we get got from the United States cost them. You know, the first mm-hmm. goal, like you said, yeah, it was a really good goal. Not exactly total football, but definitely has uh, some shades of it. Uh, the pass and move, and then for the pie to find the open space right in that hole um, between uh, Zimmerman and Reem to score. Um, and then obviously, you know, the fact that these three goals were kind of identical, all of them, I think showed the inexperience that the United States had with um, with with 
pairing out, fighting out this opposition. And yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, if, if you want to say there are some standout players, I think I'm, I'm not, I won't be disappointed. I mean, yeah, I think some people would say they are, but I think when you look at, like you said, Tim Reen had a really great tournament. I think Matt Turner, you know, aside from this game against the Dutch, had a really good tournament as well. Adams, Musa, and McKenney in the three midfield um, line did really good. I think were the standouts, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, rightly rightly expected considering it is really the strongest line that the United States has but I think yeah I think you have to really feel for the for the attack I mean all this talk about and you know so many people were talking about the United States I'm sure you felt this way too Joe about you know why the United States hasn't been able to score a lot of goals you have to look at really the inconsistency that we've had in the striker we went through three different strikers right. in these four games you know um, Jesus Ferreira um, Josh Sargent and Haji Wright, and you think what would have happened if we had someone like Jordan Pifak or, or Ricardo Pepe on this side? Would things have been different? We don't know. But certainly, I think that position at the number nine is certainly something that I think Burhalter has to has to improve, among other things as well, as well as assuring a defense that I think could be a bit more stable and, and certainly a bit more creative from, you know, like some ballistic way or whoever may be. But I think at the end of the day, Joe, and, and of course seeing certain players like Arena Aronson play, but at the end of the day, Joe, I think we just we got humbled by a better team, one of the favorites to win this World Cup. And can we hit? Can we leave our head high? I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah I would. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, I, you know, I think back on this, 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 the entirety of the World Cup. You know, facing an English side that is in the top five in the world, t- facing a Dutch side that's in the top ten in the world. You know, f- facing the Welsh side who had something to play for, facing an Iranian side that on on match day one looked dead in the water right and then on match day two against uh against wales looked like world beaters you know and all of a sudden the the iranian side that we thought we were going to get suddenly showed up against wales right i mean we talked about it before how there was inconsistency in england inconsistency of the other three teams but in this in this iranian side we saw a lot of of, of spirit a lot of spark and all of a sudden it came to the to the surface and uh, it really took a big effort from the US to to defeat that team and move on um you know the Pulisic injury notwithstanding i want to go back to the real quick with you to the van hal versus uh burhalter argument because many folks say that uh, tactically greg burhalter got out coached by louis van hal and i'm not necessarily disagreeing with them um i do think that as well i think uh i think the us men as players um, somehow lost the ability to mark the extra man. And, and that's the extra man scored every single goal. Like you just said, um, the, all three goals look very, very similar. And it was always the extra man that was coming into the play. That was the one that scored the goal. And and that is part of tactics that, that Louis van Hal would have, you know, told his team prior to the match. Um, but did Greg Burhalter put himself in a losing in a losing position by the selections that he made to start this match, or do you think he made the right selections in general um, moving forward, and then tactically got it uh, wrong compared to Van Hal? What are your thoughts on that? Well, he changed a lot of names, as we see. We didn't see the same lineup in the four games, um, so obviously, I think some of the changes that he made, you know, that, that's on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think you have to really go tactically. And I think there's yeah. not much you could say. I think you know, having someone like Jesus Ferreira play so deep um, when he shouldn't and not be more of a target man, you know, I think having so much space open from Destin Robinson, who you know had a good tournament, had a really good tournament actually when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's those costly mistakes that you can't afford in in, in tournament football. You know, you, you you have to score. You need to be effective and and try to demonstrate something. Yes. I don't blame him, and maybe these players needed to step up when they had to, but I think ultimately you still look at a side that I think just got way overwhelmed in in a lot of aspects against a Dutch side that have played with each other for quite some time, a manager that can get the best out of it when you think about it. And we even I even look back to our preview with Jerome Olschef, um, how this Dutch side really is the best gel Dutch side that he's seen in quite some time Mm -hmm. and you can see that in the performances that they've had so far in this World Cup and I think what we saw was quintessential Dutch football at its best and yeah I mean who knows what it would have been against maybe Iran or England or whatever but I think at the end of the day you know these guys just 
know what it's like and then I, I i can go from experience i mean and, and this is it's it's not a bad thing like i said you know I, I, it's a learning experience i mean failure would have been to not get out of the group that would have been worse but mm-hmm. for them to lose in this way to and i think more than anything and what i've enjoyed about this and what i've seen and joe you have more you have more every right to speak about this because you've lived more years than i have <laughs> seeing the united states but thanks for calling me old <laughs> yeah hey, I just <laughs> yesterday so i'm almost there um but having said that I, I saw. I just see a U.S. side that just there's a different mentality with them. You know, it's not just based on physicality and fitness. You know, no, you have players that are technical, albeit not exactly as technical as the Dutch, but you see a slight improvement from mm. that, and we see that every four years. So it's a it's an upward trajectory. Yes, we still need to adapt to what European football is like, even what South American football is like, and how their styles is in comparison to the rest. That's up to Berhalter and see what his ideas are and how he can get the best out of these specific players. But ultimately, I think this is the best you could have done with this side, and and that's that's it. That's the what's the cruel truth. You 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 get beat like this, you get humbled, but you it served as experience because you know the United States is not the Dutch. It yeah. could be, it can strive to be, but it's just not there yet. I'm I'm with you on that one. You know when. I think these these countries, when they come to face the United States in, in a competition, they know they're going to get run on for 90 minutes, right? I mean, there's going to be a spirit and a fight that, you know, I, I rarely see it not there when the U.S. comes to play um, in a match. What you're seeing is you're seeing the development of the technical abilities of the American player in these tournaments moving forward that that technically this group is better than the than the group eight years ago that that faced uh, that belgium side that was you know took them right down to tooth and uh, you know right down to the wire um there's a better uh sense of technicality with these these players than there was in previous years i i totally agree with that but you still also have that level of hard work and that grit that uh that the u.s team will bring you um i want to take I, I, I you know I, i'm reluctant to to spend a lot of time on it, but right now, as U.S. soccer stands, uh, the the official word is that they're going to review what is what has happened at this World Cup and then decide if they're going to renew Greg Berhalter's contract. Um, I have said previously before this World Cup, today, now, Greg Berhalter is you know has he done a he's done a better job than I expected uh, with this team and, and even in this World Cup. Greg Burhalter is not the guy to take them to this next level. Um, and I think the guy that is there to take them to this next level might be the guy we talk about next in a couple seconds. But I, I don't feel like Greg is the guy that can technically um, think their way through a match with these players and, and get them to play technically the way they are capable of playing. Um, and I think that's that's... If U.S. soccer is moving forward, I think they need to look at the crop of players they have, including the number nine spot, because that is going to be a difficult situation there. I think the central defenders, you know, you're going to lose Tim Ream, but you're going to gain Miles Robinson when he comes back off of his Achilles injury. So you're going to and you're going to develop players there as well. And in four years, I think we're going to have a very mature, very high quality side. The technicality that that side can give you, you need to find a coach that will get the best out of them. I don't think Greg Berhalter is that, but we're going to move forward. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think Greg Berhalter is the right technical coach? And who do you think we should see if he's not? Um, I mean, look, the, the, the options for who should we get is big, but I, I think... I, I think when you look at this, I think you see players that you know, maybe for us, we don't see it, obviously, because we're not there. But I, I can see that the side likes Greg. I think mm. I, I think I see that. And and one of the things I think I've, I always assess from the big teams, doesn't matter if you're a club or a country, is that when the players have your respect, then it makes your job maybe a bit easier, but mm. also a bit difficult when it comes to the, the level of good problems that you have. I think the side likes Greg. And as much as we don't want that, because yeah. we want to, we, we don't, we personally don't, I personally don't think Greg is the right person to lead this job, lead this team, because I think unless he is willing to change his ways to adapt to the way that American soccer should be at, I think you should do it. And, and even for anyone, really, I think processes should always be four years. I think it's, it's hard to, to manage a side throughout numerous 
cycles because players get older, new ones come in, and, and there's like this mismatch in a way. Mm. Happens to all the big teams in the world as well. Sometimes they flame out, sometimes they do well. It happens. But at the end of the day, they all come to their end. And I think for Burhalter, as much as we probably don't want it to happen, uh, I think he is probably going to stay. If I do have to choose a replacement, though, mm-hmm. I think you look at some of the options out there. You look at Tata Martino, who just left Mexico. Look at Juan Carlos Osorio, free agent, knows American soccer very well. He's had his history there, managing a lot of clubs in, in MLS. Look at Jesse Marsh for what he's doing at, uh, at Leeds United. You look at someone like Steve Trondolo, who just won LAFC, their first ever MLS Cup title. So there's options there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of a good one, I, I, I don't know. I still can't really pinpoint on one. I'll tell you, you and I have been talking about this topic, and a, and a name just popped in my head that if he became available, might not be a bad one. Carlos Queiroz. Yeah. Yeah, he, and, and mind you, he has history in, in the United States. He's mm-hmm. done stints at, at clubs and over there. He's, he wrote the, the famous Project 2010 uh, document, which was kind of an outline to see how the United States could be a potential contender for the World Cup in 2010. This was written in the 90s. So, yeah, no, he could be one as well. Yeah, techni- and technically, look what Iran gave you in this tournament. Technically, I mean, I think... I think he's a motivator, too, and I think yeah. that's something that... I think would be great for, for the United States. But yeah, no, that's another one too. Totally. Let's spend two seconds on the big upset in this round. Uh, Morocco, Spain. Morocco winning in penalties. Uh, Ashraf Hakimi scoring the final dagger. Kid that grows up in Madrid, right? Putting putting the last ball by. We said that this match would be difficult where the Tunisia-France match would have all of those uh, colonial connotations to it. This Moroccan-Spain match would have similar connotations. Um, I also said that this Spanish side is probably four years away from really challenging for another title. Um, and, you know, I think I think that's still, that's still the case. I don't want to stray from that. Um, I think they did show us enough. But this Moroccan side, man, what a, what a bunch of grit, heart. Again, another team that is defends by attacking right and 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 really takes up the space that you give them uh and 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 by that pressuring you into into making mistakes and with a young midfield with Gavi and Pedri that's kind of what they did and managed to hold off a very 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 good Spanish side for 120 minutes um the talk now one of those coaches that you know as US men's national team you know if Luis Enrique lost his job uh there's a spot over here for you in the United States I would think but you know, let's let's talk about that for a second. What are your thoughts on Morocco being really the becoming the darlings of this World Cup at this point? I'd say they are the darlings. Yeah. You know, the, the first time they've been to a quarterfinals in their history, the fourth ever African country to do it after Cameroon in nineteen ninety, Senegal in two thousand two, and Ghana in two thousand ten. You know, so and 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 mind you, first Arab country to make it to the quarterfinals in an Arab World Cup. So yeah, there's a lot of storylines that you can go into. Um, having said that, I think from what we've seen from this Morocco side has been great. You know, it's definitely a, a side that only conceded one goal so far in this tournament out of four games. I think have defensively been solid. Own goal, if at, I remember correctly. Yes, I believe, if mm-hmm. not mistaken. So, yeah, and you have players out there like Ziyech, Hakimi, um, Amrabat, yeah. um, and, and so many other players on that side, Hawaii uh, 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 as well. Um, so no, this is a this is a really good side that I think gave Spain a little bit of their a taste of their medicine, because I think everyone praised Spain after they scored seven against Costa Rica in the first game. Myself included, I kind of was blindsided, thinking, okay, maybe this is a side that could be a world champion. Mm-hmm. Then you saw the performances against Germany, you saw the loss against Japan, and you see what you have against Morocco. Yeah, maybe they are four years too early from peaking. But, hey, I mean, you, you still have some players like Busquets and Jordi Alba, you know, trying to get their last dances. Even Morata, he's, you know, he's 30 years old, but maybe he's going into the twilight of his international career. But you still have exciting young talents like Gavi and Pedri, Hansu Fati, Nico Williams, Dani Olmo, Fernando Torres. You know, uh, so many young players on this side as well that could do something in maybe the next Euro or even the next World Cup. I think they... They have something in them, but I think at the end of the day, you have to credit Morocco for being so defensively solid against a Spain side that likes to press, likes to attack, and uh, yeah, have made teams difficult, make things difficult. Even in the Belgium game, what we saw beforehand against Croatia and, and whatnot, no, I think this is a Morocco side that 
we'll get to the quarterfinals in a bit, but I, I don't think, yeah, I don't see them being a, a potential world champion or anything like that. But hey, you know, one African scene has to make a semifinal. Can this be the one? Maybe. Maybe. With performances like they've had so far in this tournament, I would not bet against them to do that. They've certainly raised a bunch of eyebrows uh, at this point in the tournament, without a doubt, not only from, you know, qualifying from their group, a group that had Belgium in it um, and Croatia, but uh, also, you know, a, a group that, um, you, you know, difficult to get through, but then moving on and then beating Spain is just is an incredible thing. Let's Let's jump into the, the, the week ahead because obviously on Friday we're going to kick off the quarterfinals and, and we'll be out of the doldrums of missing football for a couple of days, which has totally pained us. Um, and let's start with Croatia, Brazil, right? Uh, Croatia, you know, we've talked about them as an aging side. Aging side. They, they get by uh, Japan on penalties. So that another match where they had to play another 120 minutes uh, which is kind of the theme for Croatia these days, taking on Brazil that uh, that disposed of South Korea of uh, you know for, in my opinion uh, an overperforming South Korea side, but they did it in the first half, which is possibly what many are calling the best 45 minutes of football you have seen in this tournament. They've really started to hit all thrusters, and this is bringing back a Neymar from injury. Um, you know, I know that you and I predicted a Brazil Argentina semifinal. I don't see Croatia standing in the way of Brazil of this one getting to that quarterfinal spot. What do you think? Yeah, well, this is it. This is what Brazil have, I think, wanted to demonstrate it. We kind of felt a bit worried when we didn't see it in the game was against the Swiss and, and Serbia. And yeah, against Cameroon, was against it was an alternative side. And being Brazil, you should never lose those type of games. No matter what team you have mm. at your disposal, you should be winning. But I think what we saw in those first 45 demonstrated that, no, we we're here to perform. We're here to, to show off what we're good at. Now comes the big test because Croatia are a side that are frustrating to play. You mm-hmm. could see that. You saw that in the games, in the group stage. You saw that against Japan. Um, they are frustrating to play. It, it, listen, if Croatia played Morocco, that I think, if they played them again, again, obviously, that is a chess game when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, and it was. It was that in the group stage. And a nil-nil, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So, this is something that I think Brazil will look to to tackle. Now you look at the history as well. Brazil have never lost to, have never beaten a European um, team in a quarterfinal since 2002 when they won the World Cup. The quarterfinal they played when they hosted the World Cup was against Colombia. But since then they've lost to um, France, Netherlands, and Belgium. Now they take on Croatia. Who, yes, on paper, you should say, yeah, I think Brazil should should advance. And I think we are looking into a semifinal because I think this is Brazil's side is better than Croatia. Mm-hmm. But it will be difficult. It will not be what we saw in the first 45 against South Korea. That will be sh- – I'm, I'm absolutely confident. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we've been wrong so many times. But you think at this instance where I think for the Croatians being the underdogs, they know they have a lot to play for, I think – it's going to be a very difficult one, a very close affair, and Brazil will have to sweat it out. But I think what we're saying, yeah, I mean, we, we might see our Super Classico semifinal, if you think about it. Well, before I get there, uh, do you think it goes to extra time, or do you think this is done in 90 minutes? Oof. I'm saying extra time. I think they're going to get extra 90. time. And, and, and listen, if, if that, I think that factors Brazil, because these Croatian sides... They are on their knees. I mean, look at Brozovic. He's, he ran 17 kilometers. I don't yeah. know how much is that in miles, but 17 kilometers in the whole map, uh, roughly 10 and a half miles. That's yeah. insane. These guys are on their knees, I'd imagine, for this game if they goes another 120. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. If this goes to extra time, it's definitely in Brazil's hands, um, being being the more rested team for sure. Um, the other side of that uh, that Classico is going to be Argentina and Netherlands, right? Which is the uh, the two o'clock match, two o'clock Eastern on Friday the the ninth. Um, you and I both have Argentina winning this tournament. You and I both had Argentina playing in this match against the Netherlands. You and I both had Argentina beating the Netherlands in this match. I I, I for me, I've seen more or I'm more confident in what the Dutch have done so far. They looked very, very good. They looked tactically sound against the United States. 
Um, and Argentina has not looked like that dominant side, even even after losing to uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, they have won their matches, you know, going away, and they have been very, very good. But I, I always expected just another level that I'm not seeing just yet. So I think there's a chance here that the Dutch can certainly pull this one off. But uh, but I, I do think Argentina will move forward in this one, especially given that they were able to rest Angel Di Maria in the previous match. I, I, I think there's uh, there's something to be said about Argentina moving forward here and getting us that uh, that massive South American semifinal that we are all hoping for. Uh, but it's not going to be easy against the Dutch. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, and, and not, not to mention these two have history. They've played each other multiple times. The last time the Netherlands played in the World Cup knockout stage at this instant in a semifinal, they lost to Argentina. And obviously these two have faced each other in a lot of games, 78 World Cup final. They played each other in 98, the famous Burkamp goal, like I mentioned. Um, there's, a his- there's a lot of history in this side. Van Hal w- definitely wants his revenge against this side. But I think we're seeing, I think we're going to probably see a similar path. Um, and one of the things that I've been impressed by has been kind of the, the two subs. That, yeah, Messi's been great, and it's good to see that. But mm. I think the subs of Enzo Fernandez and Julian Alvarez have been so fundamental in changing the way that Argentina play. They've kind of been the standout players and have helped. And yes, while it's not the Argentina that you expect of them being flashy scoring goals, at this point, man, <laughs> you're out there to win. Yeah. It doesn't matter how it's done. I would factor Argentina in this one, but... I think I'm seeing a, a semi, not a semi, uh, a situation that it could go into a, to an extra time, even a penalty shootout, really. I, I don't think this game gets ended in the 90. It could be that, or we could see a very thrilling game with so many goals, but I think it, it's one of those two. Either we get a really close affair going into extra time on penalties, or we get so many goals in the first half. Yeah, this feels like that. that. It feels like it. It's either going to be the most boring chess match you ever saw in your life, or it's going to be 8-7 after 120 minutes, right? It's, it's almost like it feels like there's there's no happy medium in this one. But I, you know, I, I do think that, that the Dutch will be prepared very, very well technically, but they're they're not going to get that third guy running in on the back door like the, they did against the United States. This this Argentinian side is definitely much smarter and much quicker. And Scaloni's really proven that he can coach them through this. So um, it's going to be a fun one. I think it's still going to be a fun one to watch no matter what. It's it's I, I think the two o'clock matchups we have in in both days I think are the better matchups to have for that day. And and I do think Argentina do advance here. So let's go to Saturday. Saturday morning, ten a.m. Like we just called them the darlings of this particular tournament, Morocco facing Portugal, um, who, I mean, talk about flex, right? Six against Switzerland is insane, in my opinion. A Swiss side with Jan Sommer in goal, very, very good technically. We've seen them do this over and over and over again. Um, But to get manhandled by Portugal like that, I think, was, was something impressive. But I don't know how this one's going to go because Morocco is a very, very different creature from what the Swiss will give you. Um, I think Portugal will advance here ultimately. I, I think I don't know if you'll get a Cristiano Ronaldo goal um, so much as, as you're going to get performances from other spots in the pitch. But uh, but this is going to be one of those one of those ones where you just can't call either way. I think. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, I disagree. I disagree. I think the Portuguese have looked really good. I think the the Swiss game was not a coincidence. Uh, I think, yeah, you could say whatever you want in regards to how this side has done with and without uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, which has been hugely debated. But I don't know. I I think I just see, unless Morocco are really going to shock everyone, my heart says Morocco, my mind says Portugal. That's where mm-hmm. I'm at right now right. because I think, yeah, this Portuguese side has looked and has improved a lot in the last few games. Um, obviously, Gonzalo Ramos getting a hat-trick is, is always a, a good boost, but I don't know. I think there's just something in them. So I think I see Portugal winning this one. Mm-hmm. I don't like my answer, but sometimes the answers that you don't like are the ones that end up happening. So, yeah, that's how I'm feeling personally. You, you know, I I, th- I think we've got to spend two seconds on Gonzalo Ramos, right? 21 years old. He replaces Cristiano Ronaldo in the lineup, scores the hat trick, 
Benfica now are are literally counting the dollars or the euros. Not, not to mention, <laughs> think about how Benfica have to deal with him and Enzo Fernandez as well of Argentina. I right. mean, <laughs> you got two guys that could easily go for. I'm, I'm not saying 100 million, but definitely combined around 100. North. I was going to say north of 50 million each. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe more. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, it's this. You know, if, if anyone won this World Cup, it's Benfica. <laughs> you know, you've got to really, you've got to say that because, you know, with the Portuguese sides that we see, they, they're always selling their big pieces. Darwin Nunez is one of them. Um, you know, we, we've, we've seen many of them. This is just another windfall for them, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. But the kid was fantastic to watch. Um, and that goal that he scored, I think it was his second, that he scored short side on, um, I'm trying to think of the keeper's name now. Uh, Summer. Jurgen Sommer, thank you. Um, Jan Sommer, I'm sorry. Jan Sommer, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the way he he just totally blasted that short side upper corner on him through traffic. I mean, it was just it was a thing of beauty to do to to do that and to score that goal in those conditions uh, is is an epic epic feat. And I don't think it gets enough credit the the you know what he put behind that to actually get him by. Really, one one of the top keepers in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but we'll see because, uh, you know, Morocco is going to, you know, give them some, I, I, you know, definitely Portugal is going to get some trouble from Morocco for sure. But I do agree. I think, I think Portugal does win this. They're going to face the winner of the, when my opinion is the match of the round, England, France, both teams, upward trajectory. Um, Harry King gets on the score sheet in the, uh, in, in the round of 16 the, you know, they both win their matches rather convincingly. Kylian Mbappe leading all goal scorers right now with five goals. France is the defending champion. Um, we've seen Chomeni, um, you know, m- not make you forget about N'Golo Kante, but damn, pretty close, right? Um, and I think they're playing well across the board. This one's a tough one to pick, but I, I got to tell you, I, I think I'm going to take the defending champions moving forward. I think Kyle Walker will do a decent job on Kylian Mbappe, matching speed for speed. But Antoine Griezmann is having himself a great tournament, and it is going unnoticed because of what Kylian Mbappe has been doing in this tournament. And and I think uh, I think he could be the X factor here, and I think France will probably move on in this one. What are your thoughts on, on what is really the, the biggest matchup in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, you, you spoke about France. I want to go on England's kind of side because yeah. I think we've seen really what Bellingham is doing. Jude Bellingham, I think, mm-hmm. at 19, playing in his first major you know, tournament. Uh, sorry, not major, but like his first World Cup. And him playing in the way that he is, I think, is fantastic. I mean, he's, I think for me, he's been the best player on the side for England. Yeah. Um, really being kind of the, the conductor in that midfield and trying to always play out the passes and kind of initiate attacks. Give credit to the defense as well, if you realize. They only conceded two goals, and this was in the Iran game early on. But, mm. you know, for all, the, for all the criticism that we get someone like Harry Maguire for what he's done at Manchester United, when he puts on an England shirt, it's a completely different animal. So he, he's done very well. Him and Stones in that kind of center position. Uh, Shaw and Walker also doing well in the, as the fullbacks. You want to expect a bit more from Kane, though. I, I'm, I'm kind mm. of, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I, I think he's been someone that, when you look at the other ones scoring, like Saka, Foden, um, even Jack Grealish and, and many others, Rashford, of course, I think we need to see someone from Kane step up. I think he definitely yeah. has to step up because I'm seeing someone that is always like dropping back. I think he's not being in that position. Like I don't want to compare him to like Jesus Pereira, but it's kind of like that in a way where he's not really being in the main box trying to get the goal. So I'm curious to see how he's going to try to to pair out against a, a really really solid French uh, defense yeah. with Varane and Mikano and, and whatnot. But yeah, I honestly I think I think I agree. I, I think I see a, a French win in this one. I think it'll be very close, but I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, this is probably the best defending champion that I've seen playing a World Cup in a in a while. You know, because we in recent history, you had defending champions not play very well. Um, I think the last one I can remember was maybe Brazil in the '90s. But you know, this is it's it's been a while, and if there was one team that is playing in the way that maybe Brazil did back then, this is the France side that I'm seeing it right now. I think they have the best chance right now to repeat as champions. Um, for the first time since the 60s. But, yeah, if it goes that way, I mean, let me ask you this. Mm. If it does end up that way and France goes to the semifinal, 
where do we stand with Garrett Southgate in England as a whole and kind of the whole perspective? Because I think there was so much expectation given to this side, even some kind of even some criticism when they've had like bad runs in the UEFA Nations League and mm-hmm. when they, they got out of it and got relegated there. But you have to say it's a failure, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the runner up in the Euros, right? This is this is who we're talking about. They you know, to and to be the runner-up in the European Championship to only get to the quarterfinals and not advance past that, you've got to think that. Having said that, you've got to think Gareth Southgate has done a, a decent job, right? I mean, this this English side is crazy talented, right? And, and but the expectations are always big. That's the thing. Yeah, they are. They are. But and 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 not only are the expectations big, but you look at the team that has been put out there and the team that that has been growing, right? I mean, you're getting Jack Grealish coming off the bench, but Mason Mount's also coming off the bench. Bukayo Saka has been a revelation. He's been fantastic in this tournament. Marcus Rashford off the bench as well. I mean, you're you've got so many big pieces coming off the bench. This is a we we talked about Belgium being the the golden age, right? That they were at the, the tail end of their career. We think the the U.S. team is is coming into their golden age. I, I've got to think that this English side is in their golden age, but they're running up against a French side that might be in theirs as well. Okay, and and I, and I think that is that is one of the biggest problems for Gareth Southgate and one of the biggest perception problems for England. It's not that England is terrible. They are fantastic. They are they're they're one of the top teams in the world period. You're running up against a massive Brazilian side in this world right now that that some would argue is one of the greatest Brazilian sides we've ever seen. It's definitely not 2002 was better. But um but they would argue that talent-wise the depth of Brazil is crazy. This French side, um, we talk about depth of teams. This French side is showing you what depth really looks like because the t- the players that are missing from this tournament based on injury, uh, you've got possibly, arguably, the greatest number nine in the world right now, okay? Not playing because he's injured. You've got one of the best defensive midfielders in, in the world not playing because of injury. You're missing so many big players in this French side, and they are rolling. So, you know, this is this is the misfortune of England, is to have a group that is this talented at this point in time run up against an Italian side that is ultra-talented, that had a great mix of old and new, right, that had the wise old men in the back in Bonucci and Chiellini and managed to work their way through to a penalty shootout and then win with one with a, a better-than-average goalkeeper in Gigio Donnarumma. Then they go into the World Cup and they face these other great sides. You know, it's it's an unfortunate of, uh, circumstance of timing, in, in, in my opinion. And unfortunately, Gareth Southgate is going to be one of the scapegoats of that. Um, and, and they will have time. Let's say that they do get eliminated here today uh, or this weekend, Roberto, and they sack Southgate at this point. I get it. I understand. He hasn't delivered any trophies. Um, you have this talented side. I understand completely. But unfortunately, it, it's not only for me a circumstance of Southgate, and maybe he didn't push a few buttons right, but also the timing of this team based on the other great teams that are around the world right now. What are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, I, I think, yeah, if he loses, he gets sacked. I think, I think that's, that's a given, but what are your thoughts on, on the whole th- situation? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think whoever loses, I think are, are not going to be, are going to be out of a job. I think to yeah. might leave. And and I think Southgate, if he loses, he's out too. And it, it's unfortunate that one of these favorites have to go out, you know, because I think, you know the tournament definitely wants some favorites in there, and the fact that we're going to lose one of them um, after this weekend is is a big blow. And I think for both these sides, whoever is the loser, I think the expectations and the disappointment will be huge. You mm-hmm. know, France as defending champions, and England as a side that you know when you look at the players that they had at the disposal and what we see in the Premier League and even the ones that are abroad, they should have enough to compete for the World Cup and go into a semi-final final. For them to lose it in this way. I think would be very disappointed. So yeah, I think <laughs> one country will be very happy and very relieved. The other, I think, will not have the the um, the hopes of all these players given to them. And I think people will get pissed off. They mm. will. You, you'll see that mm. from either country. But um, no, I think yeah. Obviously, we picked France in this one, and I think for England, if if, if it does go into that way, um, yeah, I, I just think that for Southgate, I think. I think he's done, honestly. I mean, I don't think I think he's done as much as he could with his side. 
I think what history will prove to him, maybe, I mean, yeah, obviously England, I think the bar is so, when you say the bar, it's funny how for England, and this is how I perceive it, maybe you think differently, Joe, but like, the bar is so high, mm-hmm. but they've only won one tournament since 66. And the right. fact that he was the manager, he's done it previously better than any of the managers that beforehand in what's been 50 plus years. Yeah. To get him to a final, to get him to a semi-final of the of the World Cup, a European final in the in the um in the European Championships. Mm-hmm. Like to do that, which no other manager has ever done. There's been managers that have been to semi-final, I think one, Bobby Robson in, in 1990. But for him to do that, I think you know, for for what England is, it's that's what you have. I mean, yeah, if this was an England side that had won various tournaments in 66, probably would be yeah, right there, like disappointed, but they have it. Yeah. You have to be honest with you. You have to be. They have it. This isn't. This isn't Brazil. This isn't Argentina. This isn't Spain or Italy or Germany. You know, this is England, and yeah, they have the history, and you know, they, they have the players in their in their right that are among the best in the world. But in terms of tournaments and like recent history and record, what have they proven? Yeah, nothing. 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 There's, their their cupboards are as empty as Tottenham Hotspur, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, give me a winner: France, England. Uh France, France, France. France in. Uh, I like the extra time. Pe- I, it's funny. I think I see all these games except the Morocco Portugal game in extra time, which mm-hmm. I think I'll see it completely wrong now that I say it. But no, I say France uh, win this one. Yeah, regular time for me. I think so as well. So. Um, so a little bit of a programming note uh, at the moment. We will be giving you a semifinal slash final preview coming up on the weekend uh, as uh, normally this is December. And Roberto, you and I normally go on vacation right about now. So um, so unfortunately, that uh, that will be it. And then we will return potentially to give you a recap of the final. However, if we do not, if we're not able to complete that, we will come back and start looking at the leagues in the new year. So without anything left, potentially on 2022 docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 373 of low limit football, I would like to thank my my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas, for giving me a great, great year. I know we've got one more show coming up, but I want to make sure I get that out there before we close things out. Again, on the weekend, we will give you a semifinal and final preview coming up, and then to be determined if we give you one more show before the end of 2022, and we jump right into 2023. So, for episode 373 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I am Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>